when we were coming in, I said, Diana, or who are you? Joanna, I dare you to do some cartwheels down the middle on your way in. She had a cup of something, so I think that prohibited her from doing it. But. Actually, I was thinking about the heads I might have kicked. <laughs> <laughs> Protecting everyone. <laughs> oh, wait, we're on retreat. Be serious. We haven't started yet. (laughs) I'm really happy to be here, be back here. Uh, Welcome to everyone. It looks like uh, most of you have been here before. And uh, welcome to everyone who's new to Guy House. I know you were just welcomed by Jane and the staff here. And uh, but again, I want to welcome you and. I'm really happy to get to spend a few days together practicing. And, and of course, it's very serious business that we're up to, this business of liberation. But it tends to work best with a sense of humor, I find. Uh, deeply will encourage you over and over to smile at your mind and body and to uh, not take yourself too seriously throughout the retreat. Kind of take the practice very seriously, but just don't uh, take yourself too seriously. And I'm a little bit jet-lagged from the travel, but actually feeling pretty good. I'm excited. Excited about getting to sit together and walk together and talk together and discuss the holy dharma and the potential for our for our happiness for our liberation just before I came down uh, somebody on the retreat was doing a short interview with me and one of the questions that he asked me was sort of uh, meditation or dharma practice, why bother? And I thought, oh, that's an interesting and provocative question. Why why do we do this? Why bother? And what came out of my mouth, in short, was uh, because it's the only way to be happy in this world. And I truly believe that. That without training our minds, without mindfulness, without training our hearts and to change our relationship to pain without compassion, without non-attachment, without training our hearts and minds to let go. Happiness doesn't even really seem like much of an option for most people. Dukkha, 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 as the Buddha said, after I finished a talk one time, One of the other teachers said, we should just um, boil it down for everybody. All of the teachings go like this. Dukkha, 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 blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It's the only game in town, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm so happy that you... uh, Either feel the same way to commit your time to being here, or at least uh, there's some inkling of hope that maybe (laughs) this is a worthy path. I know my own 
investigation has showed me clearly that it's so worthy to spend this time in intensive practice, in retreat practice. Because it's the foundation for ease and contentment and well-being and happiness. My dukkha, 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 blah, blah, blah friend, teacher friend, his name is George Haas, teaches with us in Los Angeles. He's a great teacher. He also has this sort of formula. He says, what happens to start the path is first you make the decision. I would like to be a good person. That that's the beginning. That's what gets us into the Dharma, onto the cushion, into practice. There's that decision that we make. I want to be a good person. I don't use that personally for me, but when he said it, because I don't that kind of good people, bad people, I'm not so sure about that. But I, I like that resonance of that sort of commitment to goodness and to developing goodness within and to being a good, kind, generous, loving person. And that there's something practical and transformative by getting our ass on the cushion and letting go of the distractions and seeing clearly the nature of our minds that we do here in practice on retreat, the nature of our hearts, our bodies. Of course, as somebody once famously said, not famously enough for me to remember who said it, but somebody said, uh, one of the problems with insight is that it's often bad news. (laughs) A lot of what we see isn't our goodness. But we see what's blocking it. We see what's getting in the way, what's causing suffering, what's obscuring our hearts, our minds. So buckle in (laughs) for uh, some bad news. (laughs) (laughs) And as all of you who've been through these retreats before know, uh, it's a process of purification and we get the obscurations, that which is blocking out of the way some in our sitting and our walking and our investigation and our hopefully learning to laugh at ourselves a bit. And we get more contact with joy. Easier said than done, of course.
So I will uh, turn it over to Joanna Harper for a little bit. Um, I'm really pleased that Joanna was able to come with me. Pablo Das, who was originally scheduled to co-lead this retreat with me, um, couldn't come for his own personal reasons. And uh, Joanna and Pablo and I are part of a teaching collective, the um, Teachers' Council of Against the Stream Buddhist Meditation Society, which is our, our home sangha in Los Angeles. And um, I was really pleased that she was able to come and uh, that we're here together. Joanna has been practicing for many, many years and is a little bit new to the teaching role, finding her, her way and her voice as well as having completed a um, almost three-year teacher training with me. She's also in the midst of the Spirit Rock IMS teacher training, um, where she's just in the beginning of a four-year process with Jack Cornfield and uh, that teaching crew out of Against the Stream, or out of Spirit Rock and Insight Meditation Society. And she has a lot of uh, goodness to share with us. And I'd like to turn it over to her to talk about the precepts and refuges for a little bit, and then I'll uh, chime in a little bit after that. Which I actually want to pass out to everyone And one of the reasons I want everyone to have them, and please hold on to them if you want to just set them under your cushion for the week, um, because every morning at the, I believe it's the 645 sitting, every morning we'll chant them in Pali together um, and take them, both the refuges and the precepts, every day. Uh, kind of as just a reminder so often we'll hear the Dharma, you know, we, I don't know if you're like me who loves to read the books and listen to the talks and, um, you know, I kind of do that every day and every day I forget, <laughs> every day I forget what I just heard and I don't mean I don't necessarily intellectually or mentally forget, but my sort of my gnosis, my knowing, my being forgets and habitually I go back into feeling alone, feeling separate, forgetting that about certain actions or speech and how important they are um, for my own personal journey and for my own personal alleviation of suffering. And then also, in turn, the suffering that I cause to those around me by forgetting. Can, you guys, can everyone hear? It's hard for me to tell what this speaker system does. Um, so... 
I personally take the refuges and the precepts every morning when I sit. Like I said, as a reminder, just a little bit of a resetting the intention again and again um, for my day and for my heart and my mind to sort of come together and remember what I'm doing and what this path means to me. And like Noah was saying, how important it is and how true liberation is actually possible, if even for a moment, you know, if even for that moment that I remember. Um, so I'm, I am curious about this group here. I saw, we saw on the list that 19 people um, had never been to Gaia House before out of the 50. Um, I don't know if that number is accurate, but I'm also, I'm just curious about levels of practice here. Like, are there, is there anybody that's new to meditation here all together? Welcome, wonderful. Fantastic. Okay, so a few new people. Who feels like they're um, very seasoned and has been practicing a long time? <laughs> or, or let's say, let's say 10 years plus. Who are the 10 plus years are? Okay, nice. Got to have, have a good room full. And then everyone else, maybe one to five years. So kind of great, awesome. And then as the people that are 10 plus years could probably share every time they sit retreat, it feels like the first time maybe. You know, we come in thinking that we know what's going to happen. And oftentimes... Um, we're surprised. <laughs> Every time I, what, what is it, um, expectation is premeditated resentment. You know, it's that way where <laughs> if we are, you know, this is going to be great, this, I'm going to do so well, that, you know, it's kind of a setup. And then, you know, we can come in moaning and grumbling and be maybe pleasantly surprised by this feeling of, uh, of gentleness, you know, that we can share and show for ourselves and each other. So as far as the refuges, which we'll take first, um, these are the, the three jewels they're often referred to, the threefold refuge. And again, like I said, it's just a pathway to remembering, remembering what we're doing on this path and remembering that we're not doing it alone. So the first one being taking refuge in the Buddha. Um, and when we talk about the Buddha here, we, do, we're, we talk, yes, about the historic Buddha, the person that, we, that started this tradition 2,600 years ago as a real person that walked on this planet and that is a source of great inspiration, a real man, not a god or a deity or anything, but a real human being who was able to awaken. So taking refuge in in that living being and the possibility that it could be true for all of us. The second is taking refuge in the Buddha as the teachings, the Dharma, taking refuge in the words that are going to be shared here. And then also taking refuge in the, in the truth. The truth of what is. The truth of impermanence. The truth of dukkha. The truth of anatta, which is translated as you know, fixed and permanent self. So these sort of ultimate insights that we can have on this path. So that is taking refuge in the Buddha. And unlike some traditions where 
they'll have something that they're taking refuge in. We're not taking refuge in sort of a, an outside source, <coughs> something that will save us. We're not praying to something, hoping that we will be saved from our suffering. But when we're taking refuge in the Buddha, we're taking refuge in the Buddha that's inside of us, in the possibility that we have to awaken from our own actions, from our own thoughts and speech. So that's great possibility, right? Like It's possible right here and right now. We don't have to wait for anybody or anything to do it for us. And then the second, taking refuge in the Dharma. And again, take it like I was saying about the Buddha. We're looking at taking refuge in what's true. Taking refuge in the teachings. Taking refuge in the path of sila, which is what we'll do in the precepts. Sila meaning our ethical or moral practice. And then the third is taking refuge in the sangha. And for those of you who haven't heard the word sangha before, sangha is our community, the people that are practicing together. So right here and now, if you want to look around you even, I'd actually like you to look around at the faces if you haven't already, those who are sitting next to you, those who are filling this room that we're going to be together for the next four and a half days. These are people who care as much as you do about this path about this practice. And I really like the idea that we're not doing this alone. So often it can feel like uh, we're alone on this path, especially when we're walking around or sitting with our eyes closed. You know, everything becomes so single-pointed and so insular. And our own mind definitely becomes the most important mind that ever lived. (laughs) And there's something about knowing At some point, if you can just remember, even if it's in the morning when we're chanting that word sangha, remembering that we're actually all in this together, all of us, the staff, you guys, us, and finding strength in that. So let's take the, is there anything I forgot? Not that I remember. (laughs) Not that he was awake for. (laughs) Little nap. So first, so get the piece of paper that says the threefold refuge. And when we take them in the morning, we'll we'll chant them in Pali. But tonight, we'll just we'll take them in English. Um, and I will, we'll do a call and response. So I'll say it first, and then you can repeat. So I go to the Buddha for refuge. I go to the Buddha for refuge. I go to the Dharma for refuge. I go to the Dharma for refuge. I go to the Sangha for refuge. For a second time, I go to the Buddha for refuge. For a second time, I go to the Buddha for refuge. For a second time, I go to the Dharma for refuge. For a second time, I go to the Dharma for refuge. For a second time, I go to the Sangha for refuge. For a second time, I 
goes to the Sangha for refuge. Okay, and this time, really feeling it. Instead of just the words that are coming out of your mouth and maybe the thoughts that you're having, really connecting to what this means and the joy and the pleasure that it brings to be able to, for the third time, go to the Buddha for refuge. For the third time, go to the Buddha for refuge. For a third time, I go to the Dhamma for refuge. For a third time, I go to the Sangha for refuge. Thank you. Okay, we're going to do it in Pali too. And we'll do, uh, we'll do call and response. Now, no, the they have, it, they have it written, right? It's written. Oh, you want to just do it this way? Okay. Together. Uh, okay. I'm not used to doing it without Namo. Oh, it's not written? Uh-uh. So we'll do the first uh, line ourselves. And if you know it, join in. And then uh, when it starts the Budam, then you can join in. Because okay. I guess you don't have the homage written. Right? Maybe I'll have it, yeah. Maybe I'll have it, okay. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambudasa. Buddham saranam gachami, Dhammam saranam gachami, Sangham saranam gachami, Dutiyampi Buddham saranam gachami, Dutiyampi Dhammam saranam gachami, Dutiyampi Sangham saranam gachami, Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami I will. Um, I oftentimes teach a a precept series at Against the Stream um, because I, I I highly value the sila practices um, in this tradition. Sila again is the word for ethics or morals, um, and when pointed to, it's I like to point out that it's very different than. If anyone grew up in a more Western um, religious tradition of commandments that are placed on us and we are tend, tend to be, and I don't mean to insult anybody in this room, if <laughs> I believe that commandments actually are, are very interesting and come from the same place as the Buddhist precepts. Um, but the precepts are really laid out for our own internal uh, exploration an experience around how when we act skillfully, when we act wisely, when our intention is to not cause harm 
to ourselves or to anybody else, to not act out of a greedy place or an aversive place or a deluded place. When we come from a place of unhindered care and concern for those around us and for ourselves, these precepts actually are a natural manifestation of our actions. They're a natural manifestation of a mature practice. So they're actually not something we have to so much demand on ourselves, but something that feels very natural and right when we're in a when we're working on our practice from a wholesome place. And until then, <laughs> just in case we're not there yet, it helps to have guidelines. It helps to know oh, when I am doing dot, 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 which we'll get into what dot, dot, dot is, I notice that I feel bad. You know, I notice that there's a part of my heart that feels hardened or maybe empty or in shame or guilty. And so these practices are actually here. I love the title of this retreat, which is (laughs) Awakening the Heart Through a... Concentrated mind through training a, mind. Tr- through training the mind, right? <laughs> so awakening the heart is oftentimes so much easier, most of the time so much easier to live with a heart that can be full and open and available and receptive when we haven't, as Jack Cornfield said, says, spent a day of killing and cheating and drinking and stealing. You know, it's when we have a day like that, it's rather hard to concentrate and sit and meditate and feel good about ourselves. I'm assuming, I don't know. I mean, maybe that would feel great to do occasionally, but uh, for the most part, I think it. Uh, I, for the most part, I think it's detrimental to ourselves and for those around us. Um, so these precepts really, to me, just feel like an act of generosity. They feel like an act of kindness. They feel like a gift that we're giving to ourselves and that we're giving to those around us. And so we're going to take the five precepts together. And again, like I was saying, how we're here as a sangha, practicing together, taking these precepts, we're not only taking them um, so that we can feel good and so we can have the benefits of them, but we're really taking them to protect everybody that we're sitting with right now, so that we can protect not only the humans that we're sitting with, but all of the beings on the land that we're going to come into contact with. So if we can look at them, the precepts are often written as a training to refrain from doing something. So that's how we're going to take them. But I also like to sort of look at what we're giving instead of not only what we're taking away. So I'm going to talk about them for a minute before we actually take them, but if you, you can look at them. Um, so the first one, let me see how it's worded on yours. Um, I undertake the rule of training to refrain from harming living beings. So we're talking about not killing is sort of how it's basically um, translated. Um, And I think maybe originally it was translated as not killing another human being, um, I believe was the original thought around this. But there's so many ways to look at this, um, especially when we're walking around in nature and being in contact with nature. 
Um, so yeah, we're not killing anybody in this room. Promise, like pinky promise. Nobody in this room is going to die at the hand of another while we're here. Um, and we kind of know that. That's sort of a given, right? But let's look at the, the subtleties of all of the living beings. I don't know if we have anybody that has arachnophobia or, you know, that you guys probably don't have many mosquitoes around here, but flies. There's lots of bees that I've noticed, which is so beautiful. I'm so happy to see so many bees around. But all these um, other living beings that are on the planet that, I mean, on the property um, and the planet, that we can oftentimes, just through fear, be tempted to smash a bug you know maybe it's through habit maybe I, ha- I was at a retreat center a couple weeks ago and while I was sleeping I noticed that there was a trail of ants just making their way across my face and <laughs> it's hard you know I was asleep so they woke me up as they were going by and you know my initial inclination of course was to to slap them away Unfortunately, I'm such a good practitioner that I <laughs> You know, it's only a tickle, really. But I got up, I turned on the light, I went in the bathroom, I, you know, kind of wiped everything off of me. There was probably a few catastrophes, but not too many. You know, and with, and, but, but the biggest point is my intention. My intention was to not cause harm. These tiny little beings didn't, you know, maybe I had something yummy in my ear or something, I don't know. But their, you know, their intention was not to harm me, and certainly mine was not to harm them. So just moments like that that you might see yourself. Um, Usually I would say when it's a little tiny creature, it usually is like, what arises in me? Why would I need to extinguish? Has anybody in this room ever killed a bug? Sometimes. (laughs) You know, why do I feel the need to extinguish something um, that really is so small? So when when we're doing these, when we're looking at these precepts, since we're having the opportunity to really slow down for a moment, oftentimes we do things in a rush, right? Like how many bugs have we killed driving in a car or walking down a street that we're unaware of? But here we have the opportunity to really slow down and really think about what we're doing and ask ourselves even why we might even feel the urge as we're watching it come up. Um, So then the opposite side of that is not causing harm, but then also how are we protecting life? How are we actually, you know, here we're uh, eating as vegetarians. I don't know if all of you are all the time, but, you know, in one way, in many ways, that's our way of um, protecting life while we're here. And then the second one is, how is it again written here? The training rule to refrain from taking what is not given. I live in L.A., my car's been broken into. Houses get broken into. I don't know where you guys live. But there's this way that we're always sort of um, on guard a little bit because we have to protect our stuff, you know? It's like oftentimes I'll, I put my purse down when I first got here and walked away, and for a second I was thinking, oh, can I do that? Can, and, then if, and then I found myself with the ease of, oh, yeah, of course I can do that here. I get to do that here. Because that's what we're giving to each other. I get to feel safe while I'm here. My stuff gets to feel safe while I'm here. So really being mindful that anything that you see that's here is being protected by all of us. So doors are unlocked and um, 
I'm not taking your stuff and you're not taking my stuff. Pinky promise? Again, (laughs) we're in agreement. Um, You know, for monastics, it's as extreme as you can invite them over to your house. And if they're sitting at your coffee table and you have a coffee table book, that they would need to ask permission first before opening the book to look at the pictures. We're not, we're not doing that here, but I'm just saying that is the, this beautiful intention of hmm. I guess this I don't know where I want to go with this, but something about the impulse and the drive to um, want to have to maybe it's to alleviate some sort of internal um, discomfort. So maybe we want to have something to make that discomfort go away. I don't know where I'm going. Well, I'll just leave it at that. But you'll, you'll see. So, um, and, then, and another part I want to add to this is uh, it is taking what is freely given, right? So we're not taking what isn't freely given, but we are taking, um, almost like in, in taking alms for monastics, the food that is being given here, so generously, so lovingly cooked and prepared for us. And noticing, like, is there a grumbling going, oh, I don't like beans, and oh, oatmeal again, or porridge, what, what do you call it here, porridge. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, you know, really watching how um, we can be aversive so many times when our, or my, you know, I'm, I'm grumbling because my bedroom's cold, you know, and it's like, I have a lovely room, and all I need is another blanket. But watching how what is being freely offered, what is being given to you, and how we can um, graciously accept that. Um, the third one is... Uh, it's written here um, to refrain from sexual and sensual misconduct. Um, on retreat, we're actually asking for complete renunciation around our sexuality, so celibacy for the four and a half days that you're here. That includes self-gratification. Um, and again, not a punishment, but an understanding, a learning of how desire rises and how desire not being a bad thing in and of itself by any means, um, but it's what we do with it that can oftentimes be problematic. When we, get, when we get greedy or feel that if we didn't have this person, this gratification right now, I might implode. You know, and sort of working with that energy, really noticing that it's merely, it's a, it's a thought. It's a physical sensation. It's a reaction. It's lust. And learning how to deal with that here on retreat. It's a beautiful opportunity. How often we're unskillful through our sexuality. So that includes, it includes flirting. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Vipassana romance, which is, you know, that inclination that we can have to... Again, distract ourselves because we really like the way that guy walks. Or, ooh, I love the way he's putting on his shoes. Or the way he puts the spoon. Okay, we'll say she this time. The way she puts the spoon to her lips is so sexy, and I know we'd get along. You know, this way that 
we just get so built up and tell a complete story to ourselves and, you know, we're dating and then we're married and oftentimes by the end of the retreat we're divorced, you know, so it's like we'll go through this whole, you know, I wonder what kind of babies they would make, you know, whatever it is that your mind does, um, really paying attention to that. It's both fun and funny and silly and I've done it many times and it's a huge distraction, It's a way that I'm sort of allowing my fantasies to replace maybe a loneliness or a sadness or an emptiness that might be the real thing that's arising for me. So that one. And then the fourth is um, the training to refrain from false speech. Um, And here on retreat, since we are in silence... Um, that tends to be easy, an easy task. Um, So there are different training rules for being on retreat, and one is that we're in noble silence while we're here. Um, And noble silence um, includes uh, eye contact, so really being aware of how, you know, we may want to catch somebody's glance because we're feeling a little lonely or we just need a smile and an acknowledgement. And what does that mean to you? I remember when I, the very first retreat I sat, when I had noble silence, I actually felt a lot of shame um, because I felt like I had done something wrong, you know, because nobody wanted to look, nobody could look at me and I couldn't look at anybody. And there was a feeling of oppression to it for me. There was a feeling of um, feeling really alone. And it lasted actually quite a few days, but it ended up being something really beautiful for me to work on, seeing how habitually I want to get somebody's eye contact and I want to smile at them and I want them to smile back at me to make sure that I'm okay, right? And then once I got their sort of clarification that I was okay, then I could know that I was okay inside. So just this way that um, we tend to use other people to feel okay within ourselves so really, so being aware of that, being aware too of, you know, a lot of us, did anybody actually hand in their handheld devices, their phones, or, because you, I'm giving you full permission right now, you can safely hand your phone over, or your p- tablet, or your computer to a retreat manager, and give yourself the, maybe the freedom of not needing to sneak a call under your sheets in the middle of the night, <laughs> Or finding a place out in the field where you feel nobody can hear you. Um, We are asking for complete silence in that way, if you can. Allow yourself the freedom from technology. It's actually quite a a gift and a nice break. Um, I feel like I'm talking so much. But I just want to, you know, share these things. Um, Notes to teachers, we do accept notes. Um, But see also, how important is that note? Or is it just an excuse to be able to talk to somebody? To be able to get that burning thing off your chest that's just been eating at you for two days. What would it be like maybe to wait for three days and see if it's still there? Because oftentimes things do pass. But just really watching this speech. And then the biggest one for me around the speech is how we speak to ourselves. You know, we're not speaking to other people, but the way, watch how you speak to yourself. I'm not saying that we're shutting anything down or turning it off, but pay attention 
You know, there's that joke, like, I would never be friends with the person that spoke to me the way I speak to myself. You know, we can be pretty unkind. So just watching that in terms of wise speech, right speech, how do I talk to myself? And then the last one is um, abstaining from intoxicants. Um, So here we're abstaining from all alcohol and mind-altering drugs. Um, Recreational, what did I say? Mind-altering. Recreational drugs. Um, Working on clarity and the ability to see without numbing ourselves. Um, This list can really be elongated. You know, I would actually say using the phone or your technology would actually be a mind-altering substance. Um, So really paying attention to that. Um, If people are on any sort of prescription medication, please keep taking it. We're not talking about anything that you may need to um, for your health. So please continue um, that. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to stop with that. Um, you know, so it's really just an opportunity to see where we cling, where we crave, and what we do to stay out of, out of this moment with ourselves. So we will um, now take the five precepts. I'll I'll call in response this. I undertake the rule of training to refrain from harming living beings. I I undertake the rule of training to refrain from taking what is not given. I undertake the rule of training to refrain from sensual and sexual misconduct. I undertake the rule of training to refrain from false speech. I undertake the rule of training to refrain from taking substances that lead to heedlessness. Polly, or wait till tomorrow? Up to you. Let's do them in Polly, because I love them. And this I won't do call and response, since you have it in front of you. You can just read it. Panati pata veramani sikapadam samadhyami adinadana veramani sikapadam samadhyami Kameshumi chachara veramani sikapadam samadhyami Musavara veramani sikapadam samadhyami Sura meria maja pamadatana veramani sikapadam samadhyami
Your turn. This is going to be the best retreat ever. <laughs> or at least the best one for this moment in time in our lives. It's really a rare and precious opportunity to have a few days to be quiet and to sit and walk and I know I've really cheated myself on some retreats by not really following the schedule or taking too many naps or being lazy, basically. Which is fine and maybe, you know, not too much judgment about it, but really when I look at my own experience with slacking off on retreats, which I've done over the years... Like, what did I get away with (laughs) other than uh, sort of missed opportunity for maybe some real work and transformation and really facing some important, difficult stuff, you know, like Joanna was saying about indulging in the sexual fantasies. Like, I've I've seen my mind uh, want to do that so often and indulge in the resentments or the judgments or the lusts. And just waste time. Just distract from really seeing clearly what's actually happening in me and around me. Actually practicing mindfulness, which is why we're here. By just indulging and planning and fantasy. And and it's fine, right? No judgment. Like, do your best and enjoy uh, whatever. And... Just a real encouragement to uh, take the schedule seriously and to sit, even if you are getting really uncomfortable. Just sit with that. That pain is a great teacher. What's it like when we're in pain? How we're with our pain in sitting on retreat is uh, the microcosm of how we are with the pain in our life and the pain in the world. When we can learn to tolerate the discomfort of sitting still. When we can learn to care about the pain in the knee, in the back. Then we can learn to care about all of the unavoidable pains that will be faced. We have to care about the pain in this world more and more through the simple experience of sitting still. More compassion will come, will be uncovered. Doing that walking meditation, back and forth, back and forth. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Getting bored. A wise person once told me, if you can't be bored, you can't be Buddhist. (laughs) Wrong path for you. Learning to be with non-intense, repetitive (laughs) experience. Okay, here I am, walking back and forth again. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
I used to, when I started practicing, I thought, yes, I want to be at peace or whatever my fantasy of happiness or peace was. And then when I started to experience more ease in my life, more well-being, moments of peace and quiet and non-suffering, I was a little disappointed. I thought it was going to be more intense. I wasn't actually looking for ease. I was looking for like hardcore peace. (laughs) Some sort of intensely... uh, Entertaining calmness. (laughs) Extreme coming on retreat, I think, more than anything, uh, has helped me, and I'm not finished with it, but has helped me in uh, breaking addiction to intensity. Not only the addiction to pleasure and all of the ways that we crave and cling to pleasure, but to intensity, learning to be quiet, learning to not be entertained, learning to, at times, be bored, or not uh, having an intense experience. As most of you know, you've done retreats before, but for those of you who don't know, um, of course some doubt uh, may arise around the form, around the retreat form. Does this really work? This is um, a really proven form. We could say for... 2,600 years, although actually this kind of retreat form of the sitting and walking and the intensive, whether it's five days or three months or however, um, is, a fair, is, a, is a newer form. I, you know, the monastics live in a different way than this kind of sitting and walking way that we do on retreat. But for at least 40 years, people have been doing this, 45, 50 years. senior teachers that went and learned Buddhism in Asia and India and Burma and Thailand and Sri Lanka and brought it back and said, hey, here's a way for us householders to uh, practice intensely for short periods of time or long periods of time for those of you who are residents in the Hermitage. And it works. If, you know, if we really uh, follow the schedule and really uh, show up for it. It works to create concentration. It works to create uh, insight. To develop compassion. It's It's amazing. And I'm just really happy to be able to support you. Joanna and I are very happy to be able to support you in the process and to get to sit with you. And 
And we'll do our best to give you clear and useful instructions. Each morning, although it's not on the schedule, uh, or not uh, explicitly, each morning at the um, 9.30 a.m. sitting, uh, we will do a guided meditation. Mostly around uh, mindfulness, four foundations of mindfulness. Each afternoon at the 4 p.m. sitting, we will do another guided meditation um, around heart practices, Brahma Viharas, metta, loving kindness, compassion, maybe some forgiveness practice, maybe appreciation, maybe equanimity, maybe, I don't know, you're a serious lot, maybe make you do some laughing meditation at some point. <laughs> Perhaps dancing, I don't know. You probably mix it up a little bit. Probably throw me out of here if I make you dance, but that's all right. I've been thrown out of worse places. Better places. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Never better, but definitely worse. (laughs) So um, at 9.30 and at 4 p.m., there'll be some guidance each day. Uh, In the evening, we'll give a talk. Um, We'll keep tomorrow completely in, in silence. We won't start any interviews or meeting with you. So we can just let you settle into the practice and the rhythm of sitting and walking and, um, and a real encouragement to be gentle, internally gentle and internally have a, a little bit of a sense of humor um, with yourself and how whatever's arising in your mind. Uh, don't take it too seriously. Don't take your mind too seriously. Don't take the pain too personally if you can. It's just pain. It's just what happens when you have a nervous system. Shit hurts. When you have a mind that judges and compares and criticizes and craves. It's not your fault. That's just what it's like to have a human mind. So let the mindfulness be a support in seeing what's happening without uh, believing it is true. Or something like that. We'll talk more about that in the morning with the instructions. And then on uh, Tuesday and today, what's today? No, on Monday and Tuesday. Today's Saturday? Where are we? Saturday. So Sunday, just practicing in silence. On Monday and Tuesday, we will meet with you. Joanna and I will meet with you in small groups and um, you will all meet with both of us. So you don't have to leave us a note saying, I want to. I only want to see Joanna. I don't want to talk to Noah. He's kind of a jerk. You, can, you don't have to leave us that note because you're going to have to talk to me and you're going to have to talk to Joanna. Um, so you'll get a little bit of face time with each of us, like it or not. Well, actually, no. It's if you really don't want to see one of us, that's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> we'll probably give you a pass on that. But um, you will have the opportunity, if you like to, to meet with us, talk about your practice a little bit. In a small group. Can I throw in yeah, there that um, sometimes that doubt that he was talking about, if this is the right practice, if this retreat's working, 
Sometimes, not often, people feel like they want to leave. And they make it up in their mind, and they've talked themselves into it completely, and they're packing their bag. Um, But we'd really like to encourage, if you're having that thought, to come and talk to us before you go anywhere, (laughs) please. Um, Not only because we want to talk you into staying, but also because we worry about anybody that isn't here. So if you aren't going to make it to one of the um, interviews and you're on our list, if you decide that you're not coming, just at least leave us a note so that we know, so that we don't worry about you. Thank you. So our practice, um, one level is to bring kind awareness to every moment. Moment to moment, kind awareness. And that it takes effort to be mindful, to bring the attention to the present and sustain present time kind awareness. It takes effort. It's a training. If you have to let go of one, either the kindness or the awareness, let go of the awareness and remain kind. (coughs) Remain kind with yourself, with others. Now, of course, I think that actually as I say that, It's probably impossible (laughs) to really be kind without being aware. That when we let go of awareness, we probably can't choose kindness anymore. That kindness is not actually something that people are just this sort of like wanting to be a good person. It's not just a natural thing. It's a practice. It's a choice. How am I going to choose to respond to this moment? And so awareness really is the ground that gives us free will to choose how am I going to respond? What's the kind response to this moment? Now, this is where that kind of doubting and uh, mind, I think, can come in where we can talk ourselves into the kind thing to do today is to just nap. (laughs) It would be so kind to just nap all day. I have such a busy day, busy life, and... I decided not to take a holiday so I could come on this retreat. And your mind starts saying, it would be so so loving and generous. Just sleep till noon. (laughs) You've got your whole lifetime to meditate. And that kind of mind, Mara, and I'll talk about Mara at some point, but that part of our mind that doesn't actually have our best interests at heart masquerading as kindness that's trying to get us to not practice. Now I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with a nap and a little extra rest and taking care of our bodies and it is very important to do that. And we're here for a short time to practice. 
But no matter what, if you do decide to have that nap or that extra cup of tea or that whatever it is, one of the definitions of mindfulness is non-judgmental present time awareness, kind awareness. So what that's really talking about is when you see what's happening, don't judge it, just see it clearly. But I like to take that instruction and offer you that instruction on a larger scale for your experience here. Don't judge yourself. Or maybe actually how that works is when you notice the judging mind arising, don't take it personal. Because I don't think we can just turn off the judgment. But often when the judging mind arises, we take birth as it, we take it so personal, we incarnate as it, and we get involved in the judgment and we believe it. And so over and over we'll be encouraging an attitude of kindness, of non-judgmental relationship to what's happening. So probably enough words for tonight. And um, if you'd like to stretch your legs, you could stand up if you'd like and stretch. And we'll sit for a few minutes before we end. We don't have to sit too long. We know you all got up at 5 a.m. and meditated for an hour and a half this morning. Got your daily practice in already. <coughs> and as you're ready, just take a seat. We're not going to sit for long, just a couple minutes. Maybe more than a couple, a few minutes. Allow your body to settle and your attention to settle in the body.
take refuge in the present. Letting go of the past, letting go of the future, over and over. Finding refuge in the breath and body. Here with this heart and mind, body process, all of the truth will be revealed. Everything that we seek, everything that we seek to understand will be understood directly, the Dharma, the truth. Take refuge in the truth that you will directly perceive through your own practice. Take refuge in this community this gathering, this sangha. Silently supporting each other in the practice all week. Breathing in your own commitment to yourself to be as kind as possible, as compassionate. To be forgiving and merciful towards your own heart and mind, towards this body. Loving awareness. towards ourselves.
So before we call it a night, are there any questions about practical stuff around the precepts or schedule or anything that you need to know to to carry on? Mm -hmm. There'll be a 6.15 wake up and the first sitting will be at quarter to 7, 6.45. And um, save these sheets that you have in front of you each morning in the the sitting. uh, At the beginning or end? Beginning. At the beginning of the 6.45 sitting, be on time. Uh, Joanna will uh, lead you in the chanting of the precepts and the refuges. It's part of the morning practice. Good way to start the day. Of course, it's optional. If you don't want to chant, you don't have to chant. It's uh, just—it's an interesting thing to experiment with, practice with. See how you—you know—do it for a few days. See how you like it before you reject it. Maybe it's something you've done for a long time and you've already decided you don't like it. That's okay. No, no pressure. But it's an offering, a practice. You can just listen if you'd like. I don't think... Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there. There we go. Anybody else not get one that wanted one? There you go. Yeah, and then um, over to your to your right. She also needs one. All right, are you happy to be here? I'm glad you're here. Um, we were told by some of the staff, and we're noticing this more and more in the States too, that, that um, retreatants are being very unruly about this cell phone thing and uh, taking pictures and text messaging during retreat. And uh, of course, not you, but other retreatants have been <laughs> really not uh, abiding by the noble silence. So, just a reminder noble silence uh, includes. Any form of communication, texting other people, not just not talking to each other here, or not just not making phone calls. Uh, Many teachers will go as far as to say, don't even take notes on the retreat. Don't write anything down. Don't do any journaling. Just be with yourself in your own experience the whole time. Um, Some people I know, people learn in different ways, and some people like to take notes, and it helps them learn in the talks and stuff like that, and it is okay to take some notes, but don't you know? Don't journal all you know. Don't like spend hours writing, talking to yourself, basically, uh, in your journaling, and um, and put the phone away. I've been working um, in some drug and alcohol treatment centers, some rehabs, and uh, at some point I realized that if I didn't take the cell phones away at the beginning of class, because like they're in rehab, but it's like a fancy rehab, and they all have their phones. So they come in, and I'm, we're meditating up, and there's like texting in the middle of the meditation. And I was like, oh, I just have to take the phones away, because if they have them, they will use them. <laughs> um, and we didn't tell you earlier, but this is an intervention on you. <laughs> and 
we have uh, snuck into your room while you were in here, and we've confiscated your cell phones. <laughs> but we don't take what's not freely <laughs> given. <laughs> Anyways, you know what we're saying. It's, it's really important to just set it aside and let it go for a few days. Unless it's an emergency, but just let everything else go. Good. Any, anything else? Are you sorted? Yeah, please. Let's just quickly run through the schedule for tomorrow. Oh, they're, I think they're posted uh, all over the place, right? They should be on the, out there. They're on the wall. Um, like There's the kind of um, boards just to your right as you leave here. They're posted there. They're, they should be on some of the like, kind of doors to the dorms and stuff like that. Where do they no, get posted? Just, um, but by reception. By reception, there's the a schedule board here yeah yeah so it's out there it goes like this sit walk <laughs> sit walk eat work sit walk it's really if you're not sitting you probably should be walking <laughs> if you're not walking you probably should be sitting if you're not eating you probably should be sitting or walking <laughs> Anything? No. Start now. One last thing. The retreat is on. As you stand up, be mindful. As you walk, be mindful of the walking. As you go to bed, go to bed mindfully. Kind awareness. What's it feel like to lay down, to not have your book to entertain you to sleep, to not have a television show to distract you, to just be with your breath and body. As you fall asleep, bring awareness to the process of heavy, heavy falling asleep. And when you wake up, there's going to be a test. Do you wake up breathing in or breathing out? And as soon as you wake up tomorrow morning, bring your attention to the body, to the breath. As soon as you remember that, you see, oh, wait, am I breathing in or am I breathing out? And let your practice begin upon awakening. And even if you choose to, you know, the bells going and whatever's happening in your mind, and bring awareness to that whole process. Even if you choose to lay there, staying in bed for five more minutes, okay, that's part of your meditation. Getting out of bed mindfully, that's your meditation. Now, you don't have to go slow zombie speed in order to be mindful. Just bring attention to it. Okay, sitting in bed, coming down to the hall, shoes on, shoes off, brushing teeth. You get the picture, right? All of it is meditation. All of it is practice. Not just the sitting, not just the walking, not just the formal periods, but this is a um, meditation center. Everything that we do here is part of our practice, whether it's formal or informal. So try to do that when you wake up in the morning, breathing in or breathing out. Start the breath awareness right from uh, as soon as you can remember, as soon as consciousness is, is present. See how that goes. And uh, see you in the morning and hope that you sleep well. And if you're energized and you want to practice, sit, do some formal sitting practice, feel free. I think that this room just stays open, right? You can, you can meditate all night. 
you'd like. Or you can get some sleep. And we'll see you at the morning session. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.